If you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. This is another of our popular Listener's Choice interviews, which we're playing over the weekend. We've chosen the most popular interviews for you to select the Listener's Choice winner. If you're not sure how the Listener's Choice competition works, have a look at horsechats.com slash choice for the rules and the leaderboard. Today's chat's been brought to you by International Horse College. International Horse College's motto is people safety and horse welfare, and you'll find this message throughout our chats. Registered Training Organisation number 31352. Today our guest is Neil Pye. Neil's the head coach of the Australian Pirelli Centre. He's also the global ambassador of education for Pirelli Natural Horsemanship. He was teaching 13 years in the US with Pat and Linda Pirelli and has taught in the US, Australia, New Zealand, England, Scotland and Ireland. How are you, Neil? Really good, Glennis. Thank you. Good, good. Neil, we normally start off with a favourite quote. Have you got one for us? Hey, you know, I seem to have a favourite quote just about every week, but seeing <laughs> it, the, as you ask me now, I yes. still think I like the one that says, uh, I want to be uh, the best me that I can be. I think that's still a good one overall. Mm-hmm. I want to be the best me that I can be. Sometimes we tend to get awfully comparing and competitive, yep. but sometimes if we can just accept what's strong to us, uh, the best me I can be always works well. And when you say you've got a different one every week, have you had that one before and it's just a re-digested one or is it a new one that you've just come up with lately? Yeah, I think so. I think a lot of them recur and they come back, but it's almost like they're refreshed because we've all lived experiences and time has passed. So they often have a deeper meaning than the one that we first thought we liked, if that makes sense. Has this one had a recent meaning for you or something that brought that on? No, probably just so now that I'm back teaching a lot, uh, Mm -hmm. a lot of folks uh, compare themselves or compare their horse to others. And it's sort of a difficult, it puts them sometimes on the wrong path because at the end of the day, it's pretty unique between you and your own horse. Mm -hmm. And often comparing can uh, either make you feel cocky or feel a bit inferior. None of it's really good for learning. Yep, yep. All right. Now, Neil, tell us about how you started with horses. First of all, how you started with horses, and then I want to um, talk to you about how you started with the Pirelli system. All right. Well, both were pretty closely related for me when I look back. I didn't grow up with horses. I'm a city kid from Sydney, the western suburbs. I grew up watching cowboys and Indians and always dreamed of having a horse, but never thought I'd have the time or the money or the space. So it wasn't until in my 30s that I found myself with time and money, which is often a dangerous thing when you're in your 30s. So uh, I went out and I thought, it's time to get myself a horse. And, and out I went, and with little knowledge, I went out and bought myself a horse that was said to be a certain way. And anyway, when I got it home, it, it was nothing like I thought it would be. Everything I asked it to do, it did wanted to do the opposite. I got frustrated. I got angry. You know, my dream was turning into a nightmare. So long story short, I was only in horses for a short time. And then I got out for a while because I couldn't get a straight answer. I saw people get hurt and the romance and the reality just didn't seem to match. So I went back to business, which is my background and and training dogs, which I used to do as a hobby. But uh, once you get touched by the horse bug, it seems to always recur. So I found myself within a couple of years wanting to go back into it and got myself another horse and basically was on the same drama of blaming the horse for all the problems and really not understanding. And a neighbor of mine at the time said, Neil, there's a guy coming next week to give a clinic. He's a bit like you. He's a bit of a different duck. I think you'd like him. 
I said, what do you mean? What's, firstly, what's the clinic and uh, what makes him different? He said, well, the clinic is where they teach people to understand horses and horsemanship. Mm-hmm. And he said, this guy, the, what makes him different? He talks about life from the horse's point of view. And the simplest statement is that is, Glenn. So I hadn't heard anyone say that in my short time. Mm-hmm. I'd always been told about more equipment or bigger bits or market harbors or restraints or this or that. But no one had ever said in a conversational way something that I could relate to. So mm. it, it struck me in 1991 with bushfires all around Oxford. I went there one weekend just to sit and watch and, and saw Pat Pirelli. Yep. And in the first 10 minutes, he made more sense than anything I'd heard before. Good, good. I'm just thinking, you know, the fact that you've come in in your 30s as an older rider, mm. it's got to be beneficial when you're teaching older riders to say, yeah, I've, I've been through this, you know, I know. No, I know absolutely, like. yeah. Mm. Mm. You're right, Glenn. So I didn't think of that at the time. You don't. You, but it's funny how things work out. And because I didn't grow up with horses. Now, I, I rode horses a little bit as a kid, but only because I was athletic. I played football and, you know, you'd go and rent a horse for an hour. So it was nothing more than the mere act of not falling off. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't until I got a horse that I realized how much there was to it. And, you know, and it's way more than riding, as we've often said. It's, uh, yeah. You can ride doesn't mean you understand a horse. And that's what I quickly learned, you know. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And so having a career with horses, because you've come in from a business career, so you've come in just learning a little bit about fixing your own horse. What was it that made you have a career with horses? Was it one moment or was it logical progression as you picked up on more training? What happened there? You know, it was anything than than logical when I look back, (laughs) but uh, it was also perfect. As I said, I've been in business for 20 years and I was at that point in my life where I either stayed in the business I was in, which I was doing well with, but I'd lost the passion for it. I had been more involved with the Pirellis and I traveled overseas and, and I did it all mostly on my own time and because I loved it and I was passionate about it. And Pat used to jokingly say, when are you going to come overseas and join me and help me build this business? And I'd mm-hmm. often say, no, never, because what different reasons. But, you know, I got to 40 and I got to a point and um, your values evolve, I think, and I was pretty comfortable and I decided I wanted to do something that brought me joy and passion and was a real challenge. And so Sue and I went off and joined them in America back in the early 2000s and Stay for a long time, you know? Good, good. So for someone who wants to start with horses, you know, you talked about the life from the horse's point of view that had introduced you to, what do you think are the core skills or the character traits for someone to commence that career? You know, obviously they're not going to know everything, but the core skills that they need to be able to work with horses. Well, firstly, you, obviously you, you've got to love horses, and that's easy to do initially. Mm-hmm. But horses are a lot of hard work. I'm sure there's other things in life that are easier, but horses are continuous. They don't have a day off. They're hard work. Things can go wrong. There's health. There's training. There's so many aspects to it. The other thing you've got to really do, I think, Glennis, is you've got to like people as much because the horse industry, it's not just the horses. It's helping people with them and getting them to understand them. So as much as you've got to enjoy horses, you've also got to have a, an inherent people skills or to be prepared to develop and learn that patience because to be good with horses is one thing, but you can't separate it from the human and the horse coming together and you've got to have empathy and skills to help you know bridge that and navigate that as well. Mm-hmm. And what do you think then working, you know, because you've come from a business background that you weren't very passionate about into horses, what do you think is the best thing about working with horses? You know, it keeps you humble. Mm-hmm. That's how I look at it now. Horses are very honest. They're uh, different to what, often what we find in the business world or just in life in general. What they say is what they mean, which is often different to <laughs> other interactions. They uh, often wear their heart on their sleeves. They're all different, but they all have similar traits. And I love the fact you've got to just accept each one in the moment on that day. And you can't make many assumptions. 
Yeah. I love the honesty about them and I love that you start afresh with them every day. Mm, mm. I like that you've said they're all different, but they've all got many aspects the same. Absolutely. You can't get too confident or cocky and say you've got it all worked out. You've got to be a, really a forever student yourself. doesn't matter whether you're teaching. You're also a student of horsemanship. Yep. And the study of horses, I think, continues for as many lifetimes as we have. Yeah, yeah. What do you think? You've talked about Pat and Linda being influential. Is there anyone else that you'd like to mention or are they the main influence? Oh, there's been lots. And because of my role with Pat and Linda, I've been fortunate enough to meet many of them all around the world. Mm-hmm. Carl Hester. Fast Balkenhole uh, in, from the Dressage world. We've met Craig Johnson, many of the Rainers, a lot of the Cutters, Leon Harrell. We've been blessed to meet people we would not normally have come across. Mm-hmm. And uh, all of them are terrific. We've got great ones here, Ian Francis, Brett Parbury. And probably the thing I like is at that level, they even though they're different, they have different disciplines and what they do may be different. When they get together, they often agree on many, many things. In fact, have more in common than separate them, which is not always the case with the horse world, you know? So... Yeah, yeah. But for sure, Pat and Linda, you know, Pat, he and others have got really reintroduced the art of horsemanship in the last 30 years. And of course, I'm biased, but he more than anyone got us to realize that we lost our way. And for no one's fault for, you know, most of last century, because when cars uh, came in, in vogue and horses went away, the natural art of horsemanship got lost. And I think he and others, but especially Pat, has reintroduced that, that um, if you're going to be in horses and hopefully for a long time, you've got to study your craft. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. um, Often we get into horses and someone will say, oh, you've got a horse. What do you do? And and that's always a – so you feel you have to say, well, I do show jumping or I do dressage. But it's like if someone says, oh, you've got a wife. What do you do with her? You know what I mean? You wouldn't say that in normal situations. But in the horse game, it's that way a bit. But really, no matter what you do, you've got to have a foundation and understanding of what makes a horse tick. Mm-hmm. Without that, we can get awfully ambitious and uh, might enjoy it, but often maybe the horse doesn't. I think that's the good thing where we have to bridge that gap. Yeah. Yeah. Have you had a particular horses influence you or a number of horses? Tell us about that. Yeah, lots of horses. I remember one, I think about my fourth horse. I remember it was a real tough horse for me. And I remember saying to Pat, what do you think about me and this horse? Is it a good fit? Because he said, oh, you got to be careful you don't pick your poison. Mm. He said, look, Neil, that's a really good horse. He said, but if he was another five or six horses down the line, he'd be better for you. But right now, he's a toughie, and I think you should leave him and make him a long-term project. And I really valued that advice, and I did that. I ended up keeping him for a long time and then finding him a home because he was above my pay scale for the time of what I knew. Mm. So looking back, it was good for me. I had to learn to, like I said, be more humble and accept that because horses are different, and some require more than, than others. And you've almost got to have a fairly savvy approach to knowing you know, you're not in over your head, and, and that's often hard for people. They often buy a horse for different reasons, colour, breed, all sorts of things, and they may get what the horse they want as far as looks, but from temperament and, you know, flightiness and spirit, it can often be a mismatch, mm. you know. Your mm. dream can quickly turn into your nightmare, can't it? Oh, I think so. I think so. Yeah, very yeah. much so. Yeah. yeah, and as you say, what you think is the perfect horse may not be the perfect horse, and sometimes it takes an experienced person to come along and say, you know, really, you'd be better off. Mm. another horse at the moment you know later on absolutely could have a horse like that but at the moment yeah so that always sticks in my mind yeah that always sticks in my mind that horse and then i've had different ones i've got one now that my wife bought she liked the look of it and it was the type she liked and and i said to her when we looked at it it's nice but it's awfully snorty Mm. darling and it's a lot Mm -hmm. i think it's too much horse for you and she said oh you'll fix it you know (laughs) (laughs) and uh being always wanting to please your wife obviously we brought the horse home but 
that's two years ago, and I, she still hasn't ridden, and I'm not sure if she'll ever ride this horse. Uh, mm-hmm. He's certainly um, a good horse, but he's very sensitive, and he doesn't forgive quickly. So he's taught me a lot, too, and mm-hmm. we'll see what happens. They all teach us something. Oh, for sure, for sure. What do you think your proudest moment's been? Hmm, probably proudest moment. That's sort of hard to define. We've been fortunate enough to have lots, but I guess uh, one that does come to mind, when we were many years in America, based in Colorado and Florida, running the schools there, but then we also got sent over to England to open over there. And we did many things and put on shows with big crowds from four to 6,000 people. But probably, I know what pleased my mum the most was when we did the private demonstration for Her Majesty at Buckingham Palace. Mm-hmm. It was for her birthday. It was a birthday gift to her from all the infantry there, the Muse. What are they called? The Royal Muse. Yep, so yep. that was a proud one. Five of us flew in from different parts of the world. We had to go through all the security checks and the protocol officer. And we did a private demonstration for Her Majesty in Buckingham Palace on Guy Fawkes Day. And that was wonderful. It was only meant to be a 35-minute program, but she stayed for nearly an hour and 15 minutes. And we met her after. And she said, oh, I just wish I'd known this when I was a young girl. So that mm, was wonderful. Mm, mm, that's good. What do you think, you know, thinking about where you are now, what do you think should been your biggest challenge along the way? You know, I'm fortunate. I've not had huge challenges. I, I'm pretty self-motivated and uh, being around people like Pat and Linda and the work we're doing and when we grow the business and you see people are uh, getting good with horses and making changes, that sort of always inspired us on. I don't really, you know, this sounds a bit glib, but I don't have any. I've been blessed. I've had a, f- a very fortunate run, you know. Probably, I guess, like anything, we're all getting older and I'm getting stiffer. And, you know, you probably wish you were like you were when you were in your 20s or 30s. But that's part of the understanding and the savvy to adjust to fit the situation. You know? mm-hmm. <laughs> and I want to stay in horses till a uh, very old age. And that means, you know, you've got to make sure your horse is the right type and he's trained well. And, you know, there's a lot of good judgment calls in that. So, Because horses, I think, keep us young. They're active. They keep us active. They keep us busy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you meet lots of horse lovers and they're all different, but they all share a common bond. And, yep. and I think that's probably the important thing. Yep. Now, thinking about you, you know, your teaching, because you see a lot of riders, a lot of handlers, a lot of horses. So what do you think is a common fault that, you know, it's almost every time you go to do a clinic, you say, this is the first lesson. You know, what's, what's something there that you can tell us about? Probably the common symptom, it's probably that everyone always comes and says, look, my horse is perfect except, and then they tell you, he doesn't stand still, or he pulls back, or he jig jogs, or he bucks, or he does this. So they always say he's perfect except, and then they come up with a problem. And invariably, like anything, that's just a symptom. Mm. Nearly all the problems, be it a pullback, a runaway, a horse that won't stand still to mount, won't get on the trailer. They're all symptoms of a bigger problem. So that's the most common thing. You have to get folks to look at, uh, like way back when I first met Pat, if you can see that that's a horse just trying to tell you something, it's just feedback. Mm -hmm. And and not always pleasant, but it's feedback. So with that on board, can you get to the root cause of why he says no and why does he do the opposite to what I ask him? That's the most common thing. You've got to get people to shift from, the horse is the problem to how can I better present myself to the horse and better prepare my horse so when I ask him something, he says yes as opposed to no. And that's a short statement with a, a long, you know, action behind it, I suppose. Glennis, does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, it does. It does. If you're an equestrian coach or a horse riding instructor, or even if you aspire to be one, have a look at the free video series for horse riding instructors on the Horse Chats website. Go there now. Have a look. Horsechats.com. 
Now, I, I want you to go a bit deeper because, you know, horses are going to come to you and you're looking at the symptoms and you say, well, let's just look at the problems. But what I want you to talk about is, you know, thinking about different reasons for causing the symptom, the problem. A horse could be scared or dominant or confused. Yep. What type of reactions is the horse going to give you when they're scared, when they're dominant and when they're confused? No, sure. Good question. Well, firstly, when a horse is scared, uh, the quickest way to know is, is his head goes high. The higher the head, the higher the emotions usually. He's on alert, he's on defence, he's ready to run or fight. So the head's quite a barometer. If it goes high above the withers, he's on alert. Conversely, as his head starts to lower, by and large, he's starting to come off that adrenaline and starting to be a bit more accepting. So if his head is high and his eyes are not blinking, be careful. He's probably in a state of deciding whether he's going to try and fight or flee or or do something that we don't like. Mm -hmm. That's when a horse is worried. Conversely, when he's getting more confident, he blinks his eyes. He uh, blinks his eyes. He licks his lips. You'll see him lick his lips. He'll lower his head. You can see him. Pat's got a great old expression, but it's great. You can see him digesting a thought. You can see him thinking logically as opposed to reacting in self-defense where it can obviously be quick, dangerous, and frightening for him and whoever's around him. Mm -hmm. And then a, a dominant one is just that. He's always pushing. He's always very mouthy. He's always, you take a step back, he takes a step forward. He's, whether you're aware of it or not, he's always moving your feet. He's pushing you around, especially on the ground. He just checks you out to see if you allow all these things. And if you do, he doesn't hold it against you, but he says, hmm, here's one that'll be easy to dominate and use my size and my strength. So a pushy horse will do that. He'll test you. That's the nature of the beast. They're a a pecking order animal. So in a herd of two, you and your horse, this is where you've got to realize how they operate in time and space and then treat them accordingly to what they understand, never mind what we think is appropriate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And for us now, you know, most folks that are in the horse game are either city-fied or suburban. Yep. There's still country folk, of course, but the difference in the horse game, and I learn this a lot from people that have been longer than I, and they talk about how invariably now it's, you know, it's a fast takeaway society. We can Many people can afford a horse and they often just buy what they think looks the prettiest, and, but they have no understanding of animals, or let alone big, large horses, season cycles and looking at life from the horse's point of view. So it's quite the education, you know. Mm-hmm. Horses can be like a fashion statement, but uh, then you're, you're with this big animal who's got uh, sentient and got its own emotions and its own ways of doing things, and um, that's what certainly creates an interesting combination. Yep, yep. Now, thinking about the listeners to have something to complement their training. Have you got a book or something you can um, tell us about there? Yeah, well, I think uh, Pat's original, he wrote it many years ago, Natural Horsemanship. And I think it's probably, well, it's be 25 years old now, but it really is still has stood the test of time. It was the original book that got people to, I guess, begin to look at life from the horse's point of view. And he talks a lot about what you do on the ground and the why and then how that how that works on the horse's back as well. So that's always a great one. We also, you know, look, we've got so many things now on our website that, you know, we've been in the business for 30 years and so many education products and home study programs. We've got a world of those on there. Mm-hmm. But that's mm-hmm. probably a, a really good one to start with, looking okay. at life from the horse's point of view. Okay, okay. All right then. Now, thinking about looking at life, what are you looking forward to now? Just enjoying my horses. I'm living back at home now, which is wonderful. I've got my own place where I... I bought many years ago, and then we went overseas for most of it. But it's uh, we it's Pirelli Centre Australia, so we have mm-hmm. clinics, two-day and three-day courses, five-day, sometimes two-week programs. 
we live there. I hardly travel much at all unless I go overseas occasionally to help paddle into film uh, education piece. So I do a lot at home now. So we're in Sydney, just on the outskirts of Sydney in mm-hmm. Wilton there. So do that. We've got grand, I've got six grandkids. The three of them have got horses. So they're getting involved and they come to some of the demos with us and we show how this is a really family thing as well. And mm-hmm. if kids are blessed to have horses from a young life, it's important they understand you know, how they operate and, you know, so that's wonderful to have the kids and the grandkids involved. Mm-hmm. We've got our own horses and uh, we do demos and, you know, we've got, Pat, we still have Pat Linda come out about once a year or once every couple of years. So we mm-hmm. organize those clinics and master classes. So we're, we're still very active and we love it. We hope to stay active and keep us fit and involved for horses as long as we can be. Okay. And then, because uh, Pat's coming out soon, isn't he? Yes, in fact, yeah. he is. He's coming out. Uh, he'll be here. He'll be in Melbourne at Werribee this upcoming weekend for a two-day masterclass, Saturday mm-hmm. and Sunday. So that's this weekend. And then the following weekend, we'll be here at K Ranch, just outside of Camden, for another masterclass. And we've got about 200 people coming to that. And there'll be 15 riders and lots of people watching. And, you know, you get to see Pat in his element, teaching people from the ground up, looking at life from the horse's point of view. And you get to see why, I guess, this guy with with others has really changed the way we look at horses and has caused a real worldwide movement, which is called natural horsemanship now, you know. Mm-hmm. So he's coming to that. So, yeah, we're looking forward to that. And then also in between the two masterclasses, we're having a, a private session for um, all the Australian instructors. Pat always invests times with his instructors and we'll have a two-day horsemanship through the week as well. So that'll be wonderful. Good, good. Now, just in a few sentences, can you summarise your philosophy with horses? Yeah, look, number one from the outset, you have to learn to look. We know what's important to us. We have to learn and actively study what's important to the horse. Look at life from their point of view. And most importantly, interact with them on the ground first in such a way where they get used to understanding us and we develop a language on the ground and cooperation. Let's face it, if they're not cooperative on the ground, to put them on a trailer or put them in a wash bay or do things easy, tie them up, pick up their feet, they're telling us something. Mm. So Mm. if if we ignore that, then get on their back, obviously things can go wrong from there as well. So look at life from the horse's point of view. Realise it's actually us that have to change more than them. We have to learn about their nature and then how to work with them on the ground and then apply that to what we do in the saddle. And realise, you know, horsemanship is a long journey and it's a wonderful one. It's one of the most, to me, I'm biased, but it's the most <laughs> one of the most rewarding journeys you can do in a lifetime. Okay. All right. Now, Neil, if people want to contact you, do they contact you about Pat coming out? Yeah, well, probably the quickest way. Soon it's only a week away or a couple of weeks away for both these events. Mm. Well, or I'm thinking for later because, you know, podcasts last a long time too. Yeah, so right. another well, year or two people. You, uh, yeah. yeah, well, I'll give you two. I'll give you a – if you call Sam on 0246 309 0246 309 That would help just for now to get tickets for this event and anything we have in the future. And of course, on a, we have a website, pirelli.com.au, and that will also link you to how to get tickets, but also to know what we've always got happening around either the Pirelli Centre in Sydney or if Pat and Linda are coming out, or all that. We have a lot of special events for members and that. So No worries at all. Yeah, and we have. Facebook as well, Pirelli Centre Australia, which has got a host of information and contacts as well. Perfect. Okay, so we'll put that on horsechats.com slash neilpie or else just go to horsechats.com and you could search for Neil or search for Pirelli and those details will come up. 
Neil, brilliant talking to you. Look forward to sort of catching up with you again sometime about this a bit more. But I think, you know, just some of the things that you're saying about showing the difference and what people can look for if, to see if their horse is scared, dominant or confused. That's exactly. Some of the body language. Yeah, when we learn to read a horse's language, it makes it easier. We can read his horse behaviour. Yep, makes mm-hmm. a difference. Yes, yes, instead of us trying to dominate them all the time. That's brilliant. Yeah, Correct. The days of just bullying them into some way, and we never meant to do that, but if you can use understanding and psychology, the horses will get to enjoy it as much as we do. Yep. Okay, thanks very much. What a concept. Eh? <laughs> yes. All right, Glenn. Thanks very much. Thanks you know. for everything. Bye. Bye. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate, and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below. 